Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Um, it is the 8th of February. Seven. The gang's all back. Woo! No, tomorrow, when the oh, show wait. comes out, it'll be eight. The gang's all back. This is the first show we've done together in what feels like two months, but really has only been like three or four weeks, I think. Yeah, How I think it's just two it weeks been? off. Yeah, three weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, two weeks off. You missed us, well, Jay. That's what that means. Shows how much I love both of you. Yeah, exactly. Only if, you know, every day apart feels like a year. Did <laughs> 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 you snort? Um, yeah. Uh, it's been a, it's been, I feel like it's been a long time. I seriously do. There's a lot of stuff that we want to discuss today. We don't know if we want to get to all of it, but basically we're going to run the entire gamut of everything that was on Asian Twitter over the past <laughs> Over the months that we were away. <laughs> so and so um, let's just get right into Okay. The first thing is that what should we talk about first? We can talk about Aquafina. We can talk about, I, I don't know what Aquafina did. I, well, how do we even call it? Aquafina yeah. kind of like self canceled or something like that, right? She, yeah. Or she basically was like, she tried to prevent it, I guess. Yeah. I think she was almost like, <laughs> offering up like uh, in, in poker there's this thing called the blocker bet where you're not really sure what your hand is if you're good or not and so you do this small <laughs> bet and you hope that the person just calls because if they call then you're probably good but if they bet over you you know if they raise your bet right. then you're just like you don't know what to do you know and so it's like this <laughs> defensive posture where you're kind of offering something up like a small signal right, of strength right. like i feel like aquafina just put out like a blocker bet you know That's hilarious. Maybe this will be okay. Maybe we'll, people will accept this explanation. You know, like people didn't. But um, we can talk about that. We can talk about the 10th anniversary of Linsanity, which happened. <laughs> I didn't even know that this happened. And then some article came out in The Ringer. Yeah. I didn't even fact check it. I just assume it was right. Is it actually the 10th anniversary yeah, of Linsanity? Yeah, the Knicks-Nets game 10-year anniversary was like yesterday or something. The big one where he had a coming out against Darren Williams. Oh, the, when's the 10th anniversary of the Lakers game? I feel like that was like the... I think like I a week it. or so after that. Yeah, how yeah, long? Okay. Wasn't it really short? So the whole thing is like... Hey, it's like a two-week hey, hey. period. Yeah. <laughs> very sensitive. Anyway. Sorry, sorry. It was, it was like, like a two-three two, months. Andy's fresh wounds <laughs> 10 years okay. later. Yeah, you had a good, you had a good I can't career. believe it's been 10 years. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it feels like it was just five years ago or something. But I suppose that is <laughs> yeah, time It feels like passing. it was nine years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, what else? Oh. Uh, Chen Wei Hua is another topic. Uh, the yeah. the most the most based CCP <laughs> propaganda official out there, who seems to have captivated the entire sort of like ir- irony poison podcast left. You know, like he's basically he almost has replaced like uh, I don't know. He 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 takes up a very strange place. Andy, I'm relying on you on actual information for that. And then we are going to talk about the Olympics. Is that it? Yeah. I feel like these are all interrelated, though. We have yeah, China and why? Because all the Just people Asia have black hair. <laughs> and pop culture. I don't know. I guess uh, the big. All, it is all China now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Aquafina's half Korean, so Aquafina is half Korean. It's all a kind <laughs> of representation <laughs> politics, which we always say we're not interested okay, in. So let's call this show <laughs> representation. Representation. Oh, God. <laughs> Did you just think of that? <laughs> oh yeah yeah no 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 actually there is this uh there's somebody who at some point um i think frank shang told me and he was like uh he was mentoring some young journalists frank shang being the guy at the la times he's yeah. one of my friends and um 
Frank was like mentoring some young Asian journalists and one of them was very frustrated with like uh, sort of like the Hollywood type Asians and she mm-hmm. called them the repre- representations. <laughs> so I got it from her. Okay. <laughs> you can you guess can who with, that is. Yeah. I, I'm no longer saying those names anymore on this show because like, you know, I've decided I'm no longer attacking people. I'm just going to be about love <laughs> from here on out. So you can guess who the representations are. I won't say it. All right. Um, Okay, what should we talk about first? Let's um, go in order. The order that you aqua, said. Aquafina? I think that makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Tammy has so the first <laughs> thing that we have is Aquafina. Okay, so Tammy, what's a news story here? What did Aquafina do? Should we, so yeah, Aqu- should we read part of it? Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah, so Aquafina, as most of the people who are listening probably know, have, has been criticized for years for basically appropriating black speech mostly in her movies, but also in what I guess we could call a rap career that she had earlier. Um, And she's never really responded to this. I mean, I feel like the last time someone asked her about this on camera, she gave a very like evasive answer. Um, But I guess in time for Black History Month, she has come out with a Twitter-based text, long text apology. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read it. It's like, it's one of those things that have become ubiquitous these days where people take like five different screenshots of a notes app thing. This, this one being in dark mode, you know, and I was just like, why do people do this? You know, Only, but like, like mostly for apologies, right? But it's, she's like a movie like, star, you know, yeah. like, don't you have a PR team? Like, is this, is this now like the PR, is this a PR approved <laughs> apology format? It's like, listen, we could put out a statement. Yeah. <laughs> we could have you go talk to like, oh, I don't know. We could set up like a special with you and Connie Chung at the end of 60 <laughs> minutes or some shit where you talk about this, you know? But no, actually what works these days and what has been proven to work every single time is that you t- write some shit down <laughs> on your phone and you screenshot it. <laughs> so it looks like you really thought about this a long time. Anyway, this is what Nora Lum, a.k.a. Aquafina said. There, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's so long. It's There's really a sociopolitical long. context to everything, especially the historical context of the African-American community in this country. It is a group that is disproportionately affected by institutionalized policies and law enforcement policies, all the while having historically and routinely seen their culture stolen, exploited, appropriated by the, and this in big, big emphasis, dominant culture for monetary gain without acknowledgement nor respect for where those roots come from, the pioneers of its beginnings and the artists that perfected and mastered its craft. It is a problem we still see today, though some may pass it off as a convoluted mixture of, quote, internet TikTok slang generation that liberally uses AAVE to add that hip hop, a genre, I have no idea what she's talking about here. Um, and in life, linguistic acculturation, immigrant acculturation, and the inevitable passage of globalized internet slang all play a factor in the fine line between offense and pop culture. But as a non-black POC, I stand by the fact that I will always listen and work tirelessly to understand the history and context of AAVE, what is deemed appropriate or backwards toward the progress of any and every marginalized group. But I must emphasize to mock, belittle, or be unkind in any way uh, possible at the expense of others is underlined simply not my nature. It never has and it never was. Now, what do you think she's saying here, Tammy? Um, I think. She oh wait, I'm trying- one more time. <laughs> my, one more. My <laughs> there's four of these fucking. I think slides, you should just read so it I'm, all. We basically yeah, my read immigrant it all. background allowed me to carve an American identity off the movies and TV shows I watched, the children I went to public school with, and my undying love and respect for hip hop. You know, the Twitter is so messed up, or at least you know. Actually, I don't think this is Twitter's fault. I think this is literally like the this PR strategy's fault. Is that I've probably seen this tweet like 40 times and I didn't realize that the and slide you have it. Is in it. <laughs> <laughs> to the end. Yeah. Um, I think. 
think as a group Asian Americans are still trying to figure out what the journey, what that journey means for them, what is correct and where they belong. And though I'm still learning and doing that personal work, I know for sure that I want to spend the rest of my career doing nothing but uplifting our communities. We do this first by failing, learning, acknowledging, hearing, and empathizing. I will continue tirelessly to do just that. Okay, Tammy, Kim, your thoughts. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you read to the end because I do think that last bit is kind of the most interesting in a way. I mean, I sort of read these four slides as a kind of, I don't know, almost a sort of ritualized format for a lot of Asian American kind of identitarian politics right now. I think she's trying to figure out a way to both obviously acknowledge the criticisms of her doing black appropriation, but she's also questioning like what that even means in the context of like, especially in very dense, like multicultural urban areas, you know, is that appropriation when that's actually just like the culture you're living in? I think like at the early, in the early days of our podcast, we had something on masculine and feminine like Gen Z TikTok performance. Do you remember when we were talking about Tim, you need to, your your, your microphone, yeah, hold it out like you're on a TikTok video. Um, Yeah, sorry. Anyway, so, um, (laughs) yeah, so I guess I was thinking a lot about that and I've been thinking about, I mean, I think um, we've done, we've had different criticisms of appropriation politics on our show before, but here it's a sort of very uneasy dance that, that she's trying to do to appease and both kind of challenge. And then I think in an era of like, you know, like very activist Asian American politics also say like, I love my community. So I don't, it's a very kind of confused statement, which is, I guess why it took four screenshots. Right. And the, (laughs) you know, as many people have pointed out, the words I apologize or I'm sorry are not part of this, Mm -mm. you know? Right. And I don't think she's actually apologizing, but I also think, I think the word phrase that you said is perfect. It's an uneasy dance, you know? It's like, she's like, she's like in seventh grade and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> stumbling like on her it. own toes yeah like push it just came on and she like is coming you know going out there it's like dun, 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 and she's just like oh. <laughs> okay and andy very vivid <laughs> that, thank you. yeah I, I mean actually listening to the whole thing because i hadn't read it all the way through either i think she's very clearly say, acknowledging that she does it you know but also yeah. saying that um a, it's like, as you guys said, like, it's just part of pop culture, youth culture to speak this way. But B, um, that it's not demeaning the way she's using it. And I, I think there's, there's kind of like, I think the criticism typically is something like cultural appropriation. Like you took what we have and made money off of it without being black. And, but I think what the real criticism is, or what gets bundled into that is a criticism of minstrelsy, right? That she's yeah. doing like blackface or, you know, minstrelsy, which is like, not only playing up a stereotype, but also doing so in a really demeaning way. And I guess she's trying to say she's not, you know, and, see, and yeah. if, if she is kind of adopting this kind of speech, it's, um, I don't know what she would say, admiration, emulation, respect, whatever. Like, I, and so we could like discuss whether or not that's true. And I think the main thing she gets, um, she got criticism for was crazy rich Asians because yeah. like in hip hop, like no one really cares, you know, like that she like wrapped us. I don't care, but right. Why is this all over Crazy Rich Asians? I think so. The main character, the I character, still have not seen the exactly, movie. exactly. Okay, so right. describe it, please. Yeah, she's like the sassy sidekick, you know, friend, okay. and um, yeah, she sounds like I don't know. I don't know what the a- analogy is. I could say like in the book, there's nothing in the book that suggests this is like a sassy, you know. I, I mean, she's supposed to be Singaporean. So, yeah, that's why it's yeah, right. very weird too. So when you, in my mind, she's like speaking she talk, English. Does she talk in AAVA in the yeah. movie? 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, but again, sure. it's not like it's not the terms. It's like the pronunciation of vowels and you know intonation and that kind of thing. Well, um, sure, I know, but I'm just saying. Like, does she sound like she's trying to sound black in the movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And her character is a ridiculous kind of. The sidekick character is itself a kind of, not like minstrelsy in the, like a blackface way, but like she yeah. is a sort of like Joker character, and so it does yeah. come off as very sort of mocking and weird. It's like you know how in the '90s all those rom coms you would have like a white white protagonist and then have like a black friend who would give like sassy advice. Um, and I think, I think that, you know, I think that's kind of like the, and there would often be like a stand-up comment. Sassy. Yeah. Okay. What, what, what rom-com are you talking sassy about? Is so funny. Yeah. yeah it sorry is. about saying sassy. You know, like, <laughs> what, Dave what, Chappelle what, what like, like Dave Chappelle is Tom Hanks friend and you've got mail. Oh, you know, he's he, like just throwing one liners out there. Oh yeah. Right, no, I know what you're talking about. Right. The magical friend. Right. 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 right the magical Negro friend. Right. 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 So she's kind of like that, but Asian. Yeah, like the worst <laughs> version of it being the, that chess show, the King's Gambit or Queen's Gambit. Oh, oh right, exactly. Where, like, just so sidekick bad. character. That was the most offensive sidekick character. <laughs> I have another. Uh, there was a standard of the most offensive sidekick character I, that I thought, and that was in the novel The Art of Fielding, you know, by like that. Okay, well, who cares? But, you know, that one is just like, wow, this is, you know, yeah. intense. Yeah. But then I watched yeah. uh, The Queen's Gambit and I was like, <laughs> I was like what the fuck? This is like the most racist thing I've ever seen in my life. I can't like this show, yeah. you know? And it was like, I mean, first of all, I didn't really necessarily want to like the show because it's like, well, I mean, I don't want to like any show, you know, I just like it or don't like it. But then once that happened, I was just like, I actually think this is so bad that I, you know, like you it's can't do the, if not only for this, I was like, no, this, this is so bad. Disqualifying. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was disqualifying. Um, okay. Well, I didn't know that because I haven't seen that movie, but you know, my sense of it was that to watch it. <laughs> I know I'm so proud that I've never watched yeah, it. That I, I get every that. time I mention anything about that movie, I just say, I have not watched that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, It's like, it's my version of saying like, I don't own a television. You know? like, I feel so like morally superior. Just like, I haven't right. even watched it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Tammy is right. I think you're both right. I think that she's just kind of like basically she doesn't want to apologize because she thinks it's unfair to her, you know? Yeah. And she thinks, hey, I grew up in Queens. Like the kids that I grew up with talk like this, you know? Like, what do you want Asian people to sound like? Right. Yeah. And I think that's sort of right. the follow up question. And she's like, okay, well, where are we, how are we supposed to talk, to talk? You know, is she supposed to like talk like, you know, is she supposed to talk like, uh, I don't know. Like fucking Mr. Uniyoshi and Breakfast at Tiffany's. You know? <laughs> is she supposed to sound like Peter Jennings? You know, right. like uh, or like whatever. Yeah. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that actress who looks like Natalie Portman but isn't Natalie Portman? <laughs> yeah, I know you're talking about Kira Knightley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, really? Yeah. yeah. So is she supposed That's to sound not like how Kira... I think of her at all? <laughs> is she supposed to sound like Kira Knightley? Like, is she supposed to? Um, or is she just supposed to be some representative of where she grew up, like everybody yeah. else? You yeah. Know? And so, yeah. And I, in, yeah. Sorry, sorry, just really quickly, the Twitter gotcha people are saying, but here's a clip of her speaking, quote unquote, normally, which is the white, you know, sort of white, right. sort of like Dave Chappelle's white voice, like, like hello, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that kind of way. It's become like the Elizabeth Holmes deep voice thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Where like they found like one clip of a little girl <laughs> sounding like you know being like oh but I don't even want to go to the store and the rest of the time she's like well Dave <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what we imagined was a laser printer 
that could take one drop of blood and change the world. And then she's like, no, I would really like an orange soda, please. You know, and like, they're like, oh, we got you. But I will say that oh I have investigated God. this whole Isn't thing that, about yeah, the that's real, right? Look, I've investigated the whole Elizabeth Holmes voice thing, and the evidence You've that she has a yeah, the evidence that she has a normal voice is very scant. Really, it basically comes to like down to like the oh uh, the God. reporter John Kerry is saying like, yeah, people told me she has a normal voice, you know. And there's like one tiny clip where it kind of sounds like she has a higher voice, but yeah. I don't know, you know. I don't know. This is also something they teach people in like broadcast school for women. They just say like, you know, you should talk more Is deeply. A lower voice? So if anything, she is a victim of, uh, of society. society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she made anyway, no choices. Yeah. My yeah. sense with, with Aquafina is that like, okay, this is total conspiracy theory, but I think that Aquafina <laughs> probably talks in the middle somewhere between like her like normal, yeah. normal quote, normal voice. And then what she does in crazy or what, you know, people right. say she, or like the voice she used when she was rapping. And that actually, in interviews, she like whites it up. Yeah, you know? she does switch. Code switch. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. She doesn't want to get in trouble. You know. Yeah. Well, she <laughs> oh. but like okay. So in Shang Chi and the Farewell, she doesn't do any of the like. Okay, so right. in the in the Farewell, she's has a character who's kind of like an MFA type, and so she right. sounds more white or whatever. Right. And but then in in Shang Chi, she's playing like an urban Asian. I have this in quotes, like urban Asian, and she sounds. <laughs> Just like a normal person who grew up in like San Francisco or LA or Queens, basically. So she stopped right. doing um, it, probably. So yeah, I think like you could say in Shang Chi, like there are whatever that I, I'm sure a linguist would say, like oh, there are aspects of AAVE in her speech, but no more than any other human who exists in this world, right? right. In like right. urban culture, but it's not minstrelsy and it's not so right. affected the way it is in Crazy Rich Asians, which really we have to say is a very problematic character. I mean, right. When you're watching like, it, did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, first of all, it's just a poorly written character. Yeah, yeah. And so some of I mean, it's just like aesthetically. It made no like, sense. Oh, she like get nominated Ken for was the Oscar bad. for that. Yeah, Ken Jeong too. She got like a For Oscar the farewell, movie. for the farewell, uh, not for uh, Crazy uh, Rich Asians. It would be so bizarre if she got that. Supporting actress. But that was like her breakout role in Crazy Rich Asians. Like, kind of, I've, yeah. I would say, yeah. For no, people I think who didn't, definitely. Who didn't know her before that. I will say that when she was a rapper, this is where I know her from because she used to do this. She did this song that I thought was funny about the soda tax. Right. Do you remember yeah. this? And it's like, Mayor Mike Bloomberg, help me understand, is a giant margarita also going to get banned? And it was funny, you know? But, you know, there was this thing where I was just like, well, I don't really know what she's doing here, you know? Like, it does seem at that point in her career it did feel like she was like, hey, I'm the Asian girl and I'm going to wear these glasses and I'm going to have this beanie on and I'm going to like mug the camera type of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think I get some of the, like, whereas somebody like with Jay Key, who, you know, is the, you know, we talk about him quite a bit in this context, but he's he's been on our show, you know? I would never put him under that because I think Jay Key talks like that in some ways. Maybe it's partially, you know, I think that he talks, he speaks intentionally, but I do think that this is the, understanding of america that he came to from growing up in queens you know and i don't think that it's disrespectful and i don't think that most people i don't think 99 percent of people would take it as disrespectful you know but yeah. alcofina's early career there were times when i felt like she was like right on the border of of doing something that like is totally that is that is beyond the pale but there. because hmm. she's a because she was a novelty rapper i mean in other words like is anyone who engages in that genre who isn't black gonna come under those criticisms whereas jakey is doing it in a serious way 
Because there might be a gendered part of that too. Like I think it is kind of complicated. Right. It is complicated, but I, you know, I think it was mostly, honestly, back then, I think it was more like what she wore than her actual voice, right? Like, because the minstrel part of it is not just the voice and just the appropriation of a style of speaking. It is also everything else that goes with it, right? So um, I don't know. I mean, like my end conclusion is, or my end thought on this is that, I don't know, this cultural appropriation debate, it feels like it's like a you know, like I, I told someone, it feels like a ghost ship these days, right? Like it <laughs> happens. It's like you can see it going down the river, but you're not really sure if anyone's actually driving the ship or if anyone cares. It almost feels like a phantom reflex that people have, right? And so I don't understand why Aquafina even came out and said this stuff. Like, why does anyone have any reason why she felt the need to like go out and explain herself after all these years of not explaining it? No, but she followed it up with a tweet where she said she's going to be off Twitter for two years. So maybe this was like a planned rollout. Like, I'm going to finally say years. Yeah, I think it's on her Twitter account now. <laughs> it's like, I'll be back in 2025 or something. Oh, she said, well, I'll see you in a two years. <laughs> yeah. For my therapist. Yeah. So maybe. Be <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I think it's real. I think she's like, for mental health, I'm going to get off this app. Um, and I, it does seem like she's been affected by a lot of this stuff. Like, oh, of course, sure. I mean, how could you there must have be been out? something personal that happened recently. But it is weird timing from the outside because it's it is way after the, the thick of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people should have the people should be able to make mistakes early on in their careers, and then you know, like change, and then try and do things differently. And there's a period where every artist is explaining with or experimenting with a lot of things and i don't th i think that the problem here is that aquafina is now a big star and there's this sense that she's made all this money based on this portrayal um and i don't know if that's true or not i mean i guess yeah. if she didn't play this breakout role in crazy rich asians probably the rest of this stuff doesn't follow but at the same time like being almost an accountant for this sort of stuff it just seems like a waste of time to me you know yeah like um I'm not sure. I'd be curious to hear, you know, from listeners if they thought that I can see when I heard, read their criticism, like, oh, yeah, this, there's probably something to it. But when I was watching, it, I didn't think it was out of bounds or anything. It, it was again, a, a just like her performance in Crazy Rich Asians. Mm -hmm. It seemed to just kind of be like part of a type, part of a sort of generic character that you see in a lot of these Hollywood films. Um, and I could certainly see someone, you know, watching and be like not offended at all by it, you know, because I don't think again, I don't think it's like. I don't think she's being demeaning or anything. She's just kind of being the wacky friend who like, you know, says things um, and, and just like, says, you know, says, she's like the comic relief in the film. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think there's ambiguity there. And I think that's also like hmm. um, what she's pointing out in her statement. Like, like, I don't know. There's like, I don't know. I think she's saying like, she doesn't know where the accent came from. It just kind of yeah. is like part of the milieu of growing up in the U S and consuming pop culture. Right. But that, also, like, yeah. she's, you know, she's not white, you know, is the other thing that she... Right. Tammy, do you think if she was white that this would be as big of a deal? If she mm -hmm. were white? Yeah, she was white instead of Asian. Do you think it would be like that? I think it could be. I mean, just because, again, I think if we focus on that character, probably. Right. Because it just really was, I mean, yeah, I, I just saw it differently <laughs> than Andy. Like, I was like, this is, this is pretty bad. Okay. And there's like a character on Euphoria this season, which I've been watching for completely oh, unknown I reasons. Seen it. That shows. Let, it let looks me say. really creepy. I, 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 this is what I'll say about Euphoria overall. Euphoria is a very pretty show, 
you know, it's like watching a bunch of music videos stitched together. Mm-hmm. And Zendaya is like so much better than the show. Zendaya mm-hmm. is like, I'm convinced, like the best actress of her generation. I mean, she's incredible, huh. in it, especially mm-hmm. last night's episode. Okay. But anyway, there's an art, there's a character uh, in, and he's a very popular character in the Euphoria. He's a white guy who speaks totally in AAV, you know, he's a drug dealer, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And like I watching that, I I got this sense that oh well maybe as a society we're kind of over this conversation, you know, because yeah. nobody seems to have a problem with it. But I think that basically it just comes down to do the people who are making the decision, right? Like, and that does not mean just black people, people who are like cultural consumers who are like who care about these types of things, right? Do they think that you're doing this in a way that is authentic or not authentic, right? Like, are you like playing this up in a way? to sort of mock black people or are you not, you know? And I think that that's a, you know, it's very tough to play, apply any type of rationale to something that in the end is just like a decision based on vibes more than anything else, right? And that's not to say that the decision is wrong. I think more more often than not, it's correct, you know? But I'm just saying it's hard to like, it's hard to like post like a four panel right. notes app explanation and to like give an explanation for it when most people are just gonna be like okay you can say whatever you want but i feel like you were being disrespectful you know so yeah i don't know i don't, she probably I don't know just how... said, i'm sorry if i offended anyone but i don't know if that is that even worse <laughs> i don't think that works i think that makes it worse <laughs> if i if you were hurt i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry for anyone who was offended by this. <laughs> that would have been bad anyway wow we all feel very ambivalent about aquafina right we give this yeah. all like a four out of ten you know um like, i feel bad for whatever. her i feel like she's gone through a lot of mental stress over this yeah i do too but you know I'll, i'm gonna pull a tammy kim card here and just say she also has become incredibly enriched and famous and yeah like, i don't feel a lot bad of opportunities her. from this right, you know yeah. so okay. feeling bad is like one thing but like i feel bad for her as a fellow human being and as a fellow asian who's going through like something that's really tough but like it you know i don't know like i said some of that early stuff made me uncomfortable really? just say okay. yeah um and yet I'm also, you know, my other thought is just like, can we just, you know, this cultural appropriation conversation seems pretty dead at this point. Um, okay. Number two, not cultural appropriation from the, we're going in, in alphabetical order, is from the mouth of <laughs> China itself. Okay, Andy, who is Chen Weihua? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I don't even know when I first saw him on Twitter. I didn't realize there was, you know, Tammy sent around a piece from, uh, what is this? <laughs> Uh, Brookings Institute, I guess, like the the foreign policy establishment are tracking these Twitter mm-hmm. accounts from China. Right. <laughs> and actually, I think if you twenty twenty, I feel like really hard yeah, there were all these. Was it that yeah. late? That recently? I, I remember, especially yeah. during um, the Minnesota protests and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the China exactly. twit commentary was like pretty, uh, pretty sketch. But I mean, Chen Weihua, if you look at his profile, it seems like he's not even officially like in any capacity setting any of this stuff even though twitter calls him chinese state media he well just that's in- his power his power is that it mm-hmm. says it has a flag next to it that says china state affiliated media right. but it says yeah. i think he's just i like, want that i wish i had that flag so popular how do you do that it's like getting verified at this point we should all love it we our podcast we should really try to get <laughs> our podcast media. account to be to, to be verified as china, <laughs> as china state affiliated um as could china, you uh, uh, 
Could you type that into the profile name and get it? Yeah, I know. Like maybe we can make a little like (laughs) banner or something like that. Anyway, his big tweet recently was that Elise Stefanik, who I guess is like a a person in Congress, um, tweeted America first, China last. Right. right? right. Um, And which is like, whatever, that's a tweet. And Jen Wei <laughs> tweeted, first in what? COVID infections and deaths, gun violence, <laughs> prison population, number of homeless people, bombs dropped in foreign countries, national debt of 30 trillion, number of idiot politicians like you. I mean, it's a great toast. It's an amazing. It's an incredible <laughs> reply, guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what he seems to be doing is he seems to be going to like politician and media figures and just like, you know, trashing America. <laughs> okay, so what is this, Andy? Like what what's going on here? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like um I don't know how effective this is other than like people who are online all the time will see this stuff because again, like you said, it's being circulated not among like Chinese nationalists, it's getting circulated circulated among western leftists who want to who want to own, you know, the conservatives and American politicians. Um yeah, if you look at his profile, I guess he I mean he is. I mean, no one is. I don't think anyone is telling him to do this. He's just. He's in Europe. He does work for the Chinese state media, but like tweets, like nobody. So you tells don't you, think it's a. You don't think it's like a disinformation campaign, or like a. I mean, maybe campaign. I don't know, but I think like nobody told him to write that tweet. Like first in what? You know, like I don't think that came from. I think oh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his own clever <laughs> cleverness, right? Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Some dropped on fork. He yeah. is very funny, I have to say. <laughs> is he? Like, <laughs> I think that's funny. I mean, <laughs> he basically, like, uh, every single, well, cause mostly because the stuff he's saying is true, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, uh, it's like, okay. you know, um, you know, like every year, China issues a human rights report for the United States to basically mock the United States, red, like, red, red right. human rights reports. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this year, so many people in prison. This year, this many like police deaths and so on. So it's kind of like that energy, you yeah. Know? Um, and that and that was like pretty prominent during Black Lives Matter protests two years ago. Or you know, it, it was weird. They were saying like, on the one hand, like this is what you get with democracy. On the other hand, they were saying, but like racism yeah. is so bad. So they're trying to have it both ways. Um, but whatever, whatever it takes to kind of like own own the U.S. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's again. also part of this. I mean, he does seem like part of a trend. Like, I, you know, Brookings, whatever. You can take Brookings with a grain yeah. of salt always. But because um, the other guy you, I have seen a bunch is that guy, Zhao Lejean, or I don't Yeah, Zhao Jen. Zhao Jen, yeah. Yeah. But he's like, I mean, he is obviously like a foreign ministry official in China yeah, right. who tweets all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, he, his level of engagement with like conspiracy theories too and stuff like I feel like the Chen guy is a more effective version <laughs> of right. what, what Zhao's been trying to do for some right. time, you know, but there does seem to be a bundle of state Chinese folks right. and then kind of people on the periphery of the state who have, you know, I don't know if it's coordinated, but there is a bit of a trend. Yeah. Um, Either that or they've become all surfaced at the same time, which is also a trend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's right. interesting because like you would think that um, it's, it, I agree I agree with Andy that like it seems like the the thing that uh, this has done is like it only is effective for podcast listeners of leftists <laughs> of leftist media who are like irony pilled, you know. So it's like not <laughs> it's like nihilist it's like nihilist leftist podcast listeners. He's like their number one guy, you know. Um, but I don't know. I find it so interesting. I mean, like I I. I I would hope I if it if it's not planned then you know it's less interesting but I was interested to see if like you know like what the 
think it would make sense that China would have somebody pushing back online in these spaces, right? Like in, in this sort of way to yeah. try and, right. I would assume there is some sort of policy, not even policy, just some sort of realization that Twitter is a powerful tool. Yeah. Um, and that's like, Dolly Jin is an actual official. So I don't know, right. like, it's kind of seems like it's up to him to tweet these things. He was the guy who also tweeted that. Push, was pushing the theory that COVID started from the United States, bringing yeah, it to China before, exactly. right. before, before oh, yeah. 2019. Oh, yeah. uh, there's also uh, Hu Xijin, who is the uh, Global Times guy. Who I think he's like kind of retired, but he was big like two years ago, pushing a lot of this stuff. Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It seems like um, if they all kind of popped up around the same time, there probably was this realization that like, Twitter could be this powerful tool of information. But at the same time, like all, it seems like all government diplomats kind of got on Twitter in the last few years too, right? Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. So yeah. I see a lot of these. It's a little different than the Russian case. Like the Brookings analysis also was like, oh, it's kind of like what the Russians have been doing. But I think it's a little different in that the Russian disinfo stuff around the Trump era was very much like, oh, we have our man in Washington and we have like an objective, you know, and the Chinese accounts aren't doing that. There were Russian accounts. What were they saying? Well, you know, just all of the whole story about how like Russian troll accounts were influential in like shaping American politics. Oh, right, right. Like know, the fake accounts. people towards right, Trump right, right. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and or it does like seem different than that. fights. Right. Yeah. Right. I never bought any of that stuff, by the way. I mean, I don't know. I'm writing a piece about it, so I'll save it. But you know. Oh, okay. It seems like I it was... Like our, it I mean, I think it was overblown, Isn't... but I think it exists. Oh, right. It definitely yeah, exactly. exists, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I just yeah. think exactly. that the, oh, okay. like, the idea that like they effectively right, right. divided the black and Asian communities or they effectively oh, divided the white and Asian community, or, like all that sort of talk. I'm just like, like oh, no. I don't think that so much, but I do think, you know, around, you know, get, getting momentum for Trump and stuff. And, you know, I mean, other countries, you've seen this in other countries, like in Korea, like with like actively using troll accounts to help her chances in the election and you know yeah, anyway yeah so i think it is a pattern but the chinese thing is different i mean i know you're like we're kind of joking about this but it does seem kind of weird that the twitter does put that chinese state media thing next to them but not for like any other countries i know, you know people on it's twitter racist you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. well would the I mean, equivalent I, I really for chen be putting it next to like a state-owned media operation elsewhere but i don't think you can make an analogy like do they do like that maybe for anyone else? Belgium, Do they do that? So do unless... Yeah. Do they do that for anyone else in any other country? No. Well, I guess that's my question, though. I mean, and you know, I think somebody who is trying to be very whatever idiot, you know, sort of semantically congruent about this would be like, right. oh, then everyone at the BBC should have a fight. But right. I, you know, right. that's not fair. I don't think that's fair. What about? Oh yeah. Are there North yeah. Korea Twitter accounts? I think there's no. well, there's only there's one official state account. Okay. I think um, I follow a parody account. I don't know account. if that's flagged. That's in yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's a, a that's a parody account. account. But there's an official <laughs> one, but it's only in Korean for the most part. They occasionally tweet in English. And does that get no. flagged as North Korean state media? That's a good question. Let me actually look at it. Because mm. I see like yeah, the thing with this thing is that this dude isn't even like a government right. official, right? Is right. he? He's just some dude who lives in Belgium. I mean, he, wrote, he, he writes for the. He's for yeah. He is a state employee because he writes. He's a columnist right. for that. But he's like, in the past, he's been a fellow in the U.S. at um, these different journalism schools during like the heyday of like globalism, yeah, globalization, right. which is over now. But is that where he learned to epic all these? I know, exactly. He's <laughs> <laughs> probably just like, yeah, like like machine learning, like how everyone else talks on Twitter. I you know, know, right? Oh, wait. Okay, <laughs> so the North Korean good. account isn't flagged. But I think it oh, was wow. just so it's just like China. so small. It's just China. Well, I mean, the North Korea thing is so... Just China. I know, but I they don't do it with Russia. They don't do it with Russia, yeah. 
Yeah. I've never seen anything but China. I've never um, seen anything except China. Yeah. I see. Okay. Oh, interesting. Listen. Okay, now I have, have to look at look, that. So I, clear, yeah, I thought... Clear instant, clear thought, instance of anti-Chinese, anti-Sinophobia. Yeah. I mean, seriously, you know, it might be, but... You well, know, now whatever. I'm checking, yeah. I thought Jay's take okay, would be like, you know, with censorship, like, this is Twitter bullshit, politicizing <laughs> different Twitter accounts, and they should never... Labeling. No, I mean, I do agree. I, I do yeah. believe all those. <laughs> that things. is the Jake take. <laughs> yeah, that is my take. I'm just trying to mix it up here, you know. Um, okay. All right. Well, so our 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 we our sense of the, all of this is that this is funny and that it's weird and it just seems like it's a guy kind of. I don't know. He's probably bored and he's probably just getting a lot of engagement. Maybe he's happy yeah. about it. I find it hard to, I actually, now that I think about it, I find it hard to believe that there's some like, you know, some person in the Chinese ministry of information or whatever who's going and saying like, you know what we need to do is we need to dunk on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I don't think that's true, but I, I do know that the Chinese state media, like they issue directives that are from the party about what yeah. people are supposed to cover and how okay. they're supposed to cover it and what yeah. the themes of, you know, and I met with a Chinese state media reporter in Korea the other day and like, they very much do follow what they are told to write. Hmm. Like, okay. That's just what they do. do you so, ask you know, about, I mean, it is a ask, real thing. Do you ask that person about Chen Weihua's Twitter account? I didn't. Oh, I, <laughs> I should have. The, fun, the funniest part about it would be that if it was like some 15 year old in Bushwick or something like that. Who Chen Weihua had paid, you know, kind of like, like the Steakums brand or something like that, right? Where he's like, so listen, I need, I need you to type out some burns on these people. Here's your here's your fact info sheet and these are your <laughs> points, but just like dunk on all these idiots. Um, okay, um, moving on. Linsanity is that is Linsanity next? Well, Linsanity. yeah, these things are all. Do you have anything else to say? Oh, the Olympics. I don't really have anything to say. Do you have anything to say about Linsanity? I feel like the, my only point thing about Andy's Linsanity is still that living like. It. I feel like it's become a little bit overdetermined in the sense in how big of a moment it was for Asian Americans, you know? Like, I will say I loved Linsanity. I thought it was really important. I do think that a lot of, like, quote, Asian America stuff was kind of crafted in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then I also think that the number of people who cared about it are actually somewhat limited, you know, and that, like, I don't know. You know, Why it was, was it so like important? A, or, or what is the strongest, what is the argument that it was a turning point for Asian America or something? Because you know, he broke um, barriers. First Asian American basketball player in the NBA. Um, I mean, I think that's not true. Watt Misaka. Right. There's actually yeah. Right. And then mm. there's you know Asian descent. There's Rex uh, Chapman. Part is like half Chinese, half Japanese. Rex Chapman is. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I don't know. That. Yeah. Nate Robbins, a quarter Filipino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have we just I mean, discovered like, Kyle Anderson is like one eighth Chinese? This is on the Discord. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of people who, uh, I mean, like, this is, you know, like, it's, it's the, the way that, that I always thought about it is it's the first identifiably East Asian American person who spoke, you know, who, like, seemed like an Asian person who grew up in America that played in the NBA. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing, and I actually remember, Jay, I was reading you at the time you wrote about this, how, um, it raises interesting questions about an Asian player in a black league in a black sport. And I feel like right. that gets kind of avoided a lot in like, for instance, the piece that came out this week commemorating, yeah. you know, there's no mention of like the racial composition of the NBA, you know? Yeah. But like well, that person interviewed every Asian about <laughs> insanity, except for me. <laughs> right. Didn't even get a, Hey, would you like to talk to me? Yeah. You know? I don't even What know. did you write about it, Jay? I don't know if I read that. 
Oh, please, you know, excuse me, but my most shining moment, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> no, just I could kidding. read seventy thousand um, words of Jay. King let's see. Crow, okay, I wrote. Like, a, I wrote about things. it a lot. So I did write about him when he, when Jeremy was in college. I wrote about him and Jin the MC. And the argument that I made back then, which you know I still think is correct, is basically that like what Lynn Sanity was, or what Jeremy Lynn uh, represented was that he represented four Asian-American dudes generally, but also, you know, a lot of women as well who had grown up in the United States. Mm -hmm. This idea that they had where they were not sure if they were white or not, you know, and that if they weren't white, then they were black, right? right? And that most Asians, when they grow up, are, you know, this is not anything new. You know, they sort of go between those two modes, especially as they grow up in a place that has a lot of black people there too, you know, which is, that was my life, Mm -hmm. you know, in North Carolina. And so um, basically, Jeremy, all we do is we're sort of fed a bunch of model minority uh, type of models, right? People who went white, right? Like, so um, I don't know, musicians or people who, the guy who started Wang Computers. (laughs) I'm trying to think of famous Asians in the East. (laughs) Yo-Yo Ma, you know, Connie Chung, right? Uh, And that these are all sort of like, okay, assimilation, right? But what we didn't ever get really was like the example of somebody who would be occupying like a more, uh, you know, like what would be a stereotypical or what would be like a pop cultural black model. Yeah. And that the excitement about Jeremy Lin was that Jeremy Lin, and in some ways, Jin the MC, who's like the you know battle rapper mm-hmm. who was on 106 and Park. Well, the reason why we're excited about that is because they offer a new possibility of Asian people existing like in a black space, right? Yeah. And okay. That, that, so they that didn't break the, open the binary, but they were suggesting a different... That there was a pathway the other way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and that the disappointment of Jeremy Lin was that Jeremy Lin was like this like, Christian guy who was like, you know, I'd like to thank Jesus all the time. Oh my God. <laughs> and that, you know, he can't help that. That's who he is. No, no, no. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Though. Like, it's not his fault. Right. This is, these are all symbols that are foisted upon right, him, right. you know? <laughs> but like the thing that was exciting about Jeremy Lin was that he like really played like a aggressive, fast and like, yeah. uh, you know, going to the basket type of game that oh, would, okay. that he was not just a guy who sat out and shot threes or whatever, you know, like he was competitive. He was big for point guard and he was physical, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, these are all things that we have that are problematic and whatever, but they're associated not, especially within the context of basketball, they're not associated with whiteness they're associated with blackness. Right. Okay. And that was like the core of the excitement was that it was yeah. like a way in which like Asian people could envision a different life. Right. And of course it was racialized because it was basketball. Right. right? And it wasn't just that he was successful. I think that that thesis is totally correct. You know, like, like now that I say it out loud, I was like, damn, I was right in 2012. Yeah, <laughs> totally yeah. right. Nailed that one. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about, I was thinking about Self it today. Affirmation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, Man, think... I just, I just heard, I just said it myself and it sounded so good. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. You could just pick it up after a decade. Um, I know, I know. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it today, and yeah, I think it's kind of hard to talk about it without getting into the racial stuff. And I think, you know, obviously everyone, you know, is a liberal and the race doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. But when you talk about basketball in particular, mm-hmm. right, there's so much racial logic that goes into it. Um, the pl- the white, the players, the black players, they just also, uh, they constantly talk about these racial categories in a joking way, right? But that's kind of how they navigate the league. So, there was something interesting about him coming in. I actually kind of thought 
thinking back on the coverage and thinking back on sort of his, what eventually happened was he um, reports are like other players didn't really like all the press he was getting in New York right. and that might've contributed to him. Well, not, some of them, right. yeah, but not, yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing. It was like Carmelo. I think I, I was, what I was kind of concerned about during the time as, as a concern troll, I guess, before the term existed was were, were they going to make like Jeremy Lin into a model minority, like an NBA model minority where like all the positive coverage was coming from white coaches and white media um, praising him. You know, they always talked about how he went to Harvard and how he was like college educated. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and all that stuff, and I think, but what what I was always always exciting was like the moments when he would like obviously want the respect of former players who are black and his black teammates, right. and there's something going on there where it's like, you know, there's this kind of ideal utopian kernel in sports where like if you can perform well, then racial stereotypes can be I overcome, um, and that's obviously not how like life is, but there that that happens once in a while in sports, and mm-hmm. that's what that was that's what kind of was exciting for me, right? Because again, like Yao, when Yao was, Yao Ming was a much better player than Jeremy Lin. But I don't know. I don't think he like broke stereotypes really. Like people were kind of like. Well, because he's also seven foot six. So right. it's not like a meritocracy. It's like if you're seven <laughs> six and you can't be good, if you're not in the NBA, it means something's very or wrong. Or he just, he was always exotic. Know? Even till, until right. the end, he was exotic, yeah. you know? Um, right. So it's like he was better than Jeremy Lin, but he didn't break the stereotype. And well, he's, he was a fob, right? Like. Oh, he's from China. Yeah, Yao is just yeah, Chinese. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah, just yeah. straight up Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, was yeah. Different and he's back in China. China. And he's where Jeremy grew, was born and raised. Yeah, in the United he's a kind of classically Asian American well. dude. Yeah, right. He was on Zanga. You know, right. like uh, <laughs> His the first was... piece I wrote about him was when he was in college. I wrote a lot about how he was on Zanga. You know, yeah, and how his uh, his his handle on on Zanga was chink. Chinkbala eighty eight. Right. No way. <laughs> no, I and I was That's like, look, this, he's signaling something that is deep within that era of like ASEAN politics, right. you know, or ASEAN like type of culture, right? Where it's just like, okay, this guy understands what it yeah. is, right? Right. And then why, when he gets to the NBA, does he just turn into this like Jesus quote machine? You know, like that was my question. I was like, yeah. Like nobody comes with Chinkbala eighty eight without like an understanding of the, their place within this ecosystem and understands all the symbols that he's about. That he probably at that time has no idea that he's going to become. Right. But he was always really good at basketball, you know. Right. And then like you know the idea that none of that transferred and once he gets to the NBA, he's just like. But that was also because he was in such a strange position and had people like me and Pablo, like Tori, <laughs> running, you know, chasing <laughs> after him. Be like, what about the Asian part of it, huh? And he's just like, ah! yeah. Yeah, I mean, wait. So, is this this is a dumb question? But so, was he only good for a second? No, he was was pretty. No, he was good. Then Sandy lasted a couple months, but he never got that good again. Weeks, yeah. But he became like a useful NBA player for a while. Yeah, you know. And And there was a period where he was like in Charlotte, where he was actually quite good. Charlotte was probably his best year. But then he he blew his knee out when he went to Brooklyn, and then he was like hurt. But then. His, he was always like a like his upside was going to be like as a good backup guard, you know, yeah. which is still like a real job in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and he was never bad, you know, like he is always okay. like a he's always deserved to be in the league. Like there is no like just like, oh, tokenism. You get to play because you're the Asian guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so he's good enough. He had a career and now he plays in China and he's fine. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't. He plays I mean, in I still China? Think that, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I still think the core of it is this question about, you know, an Asian, bo- an identifiably Asian American body in a black space. 
you know, and I think that that was exciting to people and nobody really knew how to talk about it except, you know, right. the person who's speaking to you right now, <laughs> Jay Kang. Well, it was exciting because <laughs> oh my God. But apparently Tammy missed my big moment. This is yeah. hilarious. This is like, the, this podcast should be flagged as like, like Jay Kang affiliated podcast. <laughs> like propaganda machine just, for Jay Kang. I'm just mad that everyone's doing, you know, I will say I'm a little salty that everyone's doing tenure, even though I didn't know it was the 10th year anniversary of insanity. <laughs> but you also know that your take oh, is like too spicy for mainstream media, right? To talk is about, to talk about race. I feel like. To talk about race so explicitly. Um, I don't know, but the other version is so lame where it's just like, oh, it was a time where we all came together. It's like, yeah. no, we didn't. Tammy didn't even know it fucking happened. You know? Oh, I think it was a big deal at the time. I, I it was a big knew. deal, but I'm just saying that like this idea that it was nothing except like this moment of great celebration and that there was no sort of like fraught politics behind it. Like it's crazy to me. It's like whitewashing um, history. It's it became silly. fraught afterwards. At the height, it was like he could do nothing wrong. Everyone is happy. And then it became mm-hmm. like what happens when his star threatens other stars and who gets to mm. actually control the franchise and, and so on. But like during, during the month or so, it was like, it was amazing. He just had like every, every game was like, he scored like 30 I points. I know, but I guess I, first wow. of all, it was two weeks. And secondly, like I would say that like, <laughs> this an argument? I don't know. I just felt like it was always there and I don't, I don't know. Oh, it was right. there. But I think the question was, I mean, I think with the question you were raising, I was like, what, what is like the feeling people are having now? Like what, what is it based right. on? Right. Is right. it based on basically being a, barrier breaker because on a basic level he wasn't the first no this was his second year in the league so he had actually already been in the league for a while so there's something about this his like the, the specificity of like being really good and, and being really good in this way you know that so my question was this right we had uh, the the dallas cowboys had a middle linebacker named dat win for many years before lin sanity came along dat win is like a vietnamese dude he's bill parcells his favorite player He's playing in the for the Dallas fucking Cowboys. He's oh, one of the most popular players for the for the Dallas Cowboys, right? Uh, why is he not the why yeah. was he not the person that everyone rallied behind? You know, football is way more popular than the NBA. Right. And the Dallas Cowboys are way more unpopular by themselves than the NBA. Right. You know? So why was why was why was why was it not that win? You know? Like why was and people are like, oh well, you know, in football they wear helmets. It's like, come on. Wait, know? so when That's was not the that? reason? Huh? This was like in the 90s and 2000s, in the aughts. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. Uh, there is like, there have been Asian football players who exist, right? Like Heinz Ward, for example, obviously mm-hmm. very famously half Korean. Why was Heinz Ward not the, why was Heinz Ward not the big uh, right. breaker down of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of whatever barriers, right? Yeah. So and is like, it something so about people the can NBA rationalize though? it all they want. But it is something about the NBA and the fact yeah. that he is like a Asian looking guy. That's all it is, you know? But and especially because so he's playing so well. Because if he were like. Yeah. Yeah, but that win was really good, you know? Yeah, okay. And he had a much longer career than Jeremy did in terms of like being. Did a he have like a moment where he was. Because I guess in basketball, it's like Jeremy Lin was actually scoring the point. Like, was yeah. that win more of a supportive player in those formations or. Well, I mean, it's football, and he was I on know. defense. But like, yeah, it's like, so that's uh, maybe what part he wasn't for a quarterback, quarterback or running back. But like, or I mean, yeah, look, I get it. Like, you know, like Jeremy Lin also like had this like Cinderella story, which is why the whole country paid attention. And he went to Harvard, right? Yeah. 
But like the Harvard yeah. part is what I'm talking about is that it is, he's like this Asian kid from Palo, uh, Palo Alto who had a Zanga who somehow ends up in the NBA <laughs> and he's very identifiably by his face, East Asian, you right. know, and like, that's all that. And then, then, then it is a racialized question, right? It's not just about Asians of all types coming together because this guy is a groundbreaker. We have to think about why the other mm -hmm. people weren't groundbreakers yeah. before him. Right. right? right. And like, that's, that, that's all I'm asking. Yeah. I think it's a, good, it's a good question. And there's also a bunch of Asian American. I mean, there's at least an Asian American catcher in baseball, right? In, in addition to yeah, all Asian players. Yeah, there's Kurt Suzuki, who right. is Hawaiian. There's uh, Hank Conger, who is like, you know, Korean American. Like, there are all yeah. sorts of Asian Americans. Not to mention Hideo Nomo, who came over from Japan, was a huge sensation, right, right. you know, like uh, an Ichiro, right? right and right. so what was it about Linsanity that made people theorize it so much, right? Why was it so over-theorized yeah. um, or, and not over-theorized. Hmm. I was one who over-theorized it. Why was it so <laughs> over-celebrated, right? And uh, I think it's just because of that. I think know? it's like, also because for most Asian Americans, basketball is their favorite sport. Yeah, no, that's think, not true. That's so? not true at all. Oh, the NFL really? is so much know. more popular across all races, you know? I never all hear races. any Asian Americans talking about any sport except basketball. Yeah. Well, but that's, that's just you, nice. That's only because you only know a bunch of media nerds. Hey, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I had my true. enclave friends. <laughs> Your enclave friends. <laughs> um, yeah, the NFL is more popular with every single like the different the gap between the NFL and every other sport in terms of popularity is so large that there's no demographic where like the NBA is more popular within that demographic. Than that the is NFL. insane yeah. to me because that's yeah. so I, different I, than yeah, so, my anecdotal experience. Yeah. Um, okay. That's just a number. Okay, then I don't have one. 91 of the 100 most watched things on television last year were NFL games. Like, period. Like, the 91 of the 100 most watched things that yeah. were aired on the television were all NFL. Were 91 of the 100, top 100 were on NFL television. Games. But that counts every, all the platforms, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you That's can't, like, add up enough right pirated yeah. NBA streams to, <laughs> to get anywhere close to cracking that list, you know? That's the NFL really is just so more popular. So that's my that was my question. Why wasn't it that way, you know? Yeah. And uh, no one has an answer. I'm going to look for, up this know, guy. He has a hel he had a helmet on or something. <laughs> so, yeah, so your answer is... is an interesting... <laughs> your answer is because the NBA was a black league. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and he's, like, he's... Living but the isn't the NFL that... just as black as the NBA? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Especially not like, you know. Yeah. I mean, the faces segregated. of the NFL are white, you know, cause up until recently because it's all quarterbacks, right? Yeah, but um, aside from them, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. You can argue. You can disagree. I'm not talking about you two. You can't disagree. <laughs> but, you know, one can disagree. But I think I was right about this. I mean, yeah. I don't know why I'm so salty yeah. about this article. The yeah. Ringer article? Because they didn't want no, to I'm talk about, about that. I'm just black, black Asian, black Asian relations. You know, that's like I'm not mad at the writer, this. and I'm not mad at the like memory that of it. Is in the lead. I just <laughs> wish that the, this conversation would have gotten to a more interesting place in ten years. You know, oh, it went I backwards. Yeah, it really went backwards, and now it's just yeah. about like boring representation. Well, right now stuff. we're not exactly in a heyday of like smart theorization yeah. around Asian I mean, American politics, right? If you put, <laughs> we're in a yeah. bit of a rat right now. So. If you put Jeremy and Aquafina side by side, right? They like both grow up emulating black cultural mm -hmm. forms. Chinkwala right. 88, you know, yeah, Aquafina rising. And if, you know, if Aquafina gets chastened so much by criticism, then she becomes Jeremy Lin, you know? Which is like, he, he, he doesn't talk <laughs> about race, race or anything That's controversial at all, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's just like, okay. 
I need to code switch now. Yeah. Channel Jeremy Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, if you're listening, I'm a big fan still. I'm not trying know, to criticize. He's not listening. Don't worry about it. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I like Jeremy Lynch too. I don't have any problem with him. I'm ha- I, w- I was excited by Lynch Sanity too. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it's something weird that it seems like the conversation has gone backwards, and that's not his fault, obviously. Right. You know, but uh, it's you know it's the fault of the media. How how um, rare is it to have someone so religious in the, in the NBA? Because no, you see that, that with the NFL, the prayers and all that. Yeah, but a lot of NBA players are really... pretty Christian, ostensibly. But to this, okay. Yeah, it's gone down a little bit actually. The heyday of it was like basically in the early '90s when Charlie Ward and was trying to like convert the entire league into oh, really? evangelical I Christianity, I think. But um, oh my goodness, who's Charlie Ward? Yeah, he, was, he was like a Knicks point guard. Yeah. He also oh, played. He, okay. Yeah, he also was like a quarterback at Florida State. Right. But like, oh, wow. there was like a period where I think that a lot of there was a lot of evangelical proselytizing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it goes on anymore. Um, but you know, uh, and I think that Jeremy of his generation of players was the most outwardly Christian. He was sort of like, there's this quarterback, Tammy, named Kurt Warner, who mm-hmm. was uh, in the Los Angeles Rams. And, like, you know, like, everyone says, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, first. You know, like, without him, yeah. none of this would be possible. But, like, you know, there's a, there are people, Tammy just made a face. <laughs> Happy face. Yeah. But there are people who, like, go seven steps beyond that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so Jeremy and Kurt Warner both, like, went extra yeah. so that you okay. would recognize their faith, yeah. which yeah. there's no problem with that. You know, like that's their expression of self, but like that's how they present themselves mm-hmm. is they present themselves as people of faith, which is what Jeremy did at first. But now he's he's definitely grown into something else now. You know, he's much more candid than he used to be. Right. But um, but, you know, like he's also like playing in China, you know, so it's not as high stakes mm-hmm. as it was when everyone yeah. in the world had a microphone in front of him. Yeah. Um, OK, should we talk about the Olympics? Yeah. Sure. OK. Sports Have you guys been watching? Time. Yeah, I watched the opening ceremony and a few events. But are you watching mm-hmm. a lot in Korea because it's the same time period or time zone? I'm trying to catch as much as I can. They, what they're showing is not as extensive as I would like. Really? Focused a lot on short track controversies and all. I that. was gonna say, is it all short? Is it all Victor? It's a on? lot of short what track. What happened? What happened? Well, so there, Victor on is like coaching. Yeah. Well, so there's there's two coaches for chi- the China short track team are Korean. So the, and the assistant coach is a guy, Victor On, who actually had a bunch of conflicts with people in Korea and then actually became a Russian citizen and renamed himself Victor On. And now he's in China. And so these <laughs> are both figures who are sort of like country hopping. And, and like the Chinese team right now is getting gold and silver on the men's side because they disqualified all the Koreans. And so it's like a big controversy because... There were these penalty calls last night that were so infuriating. Like, I was trying not to be nationalistic about it, but it was honestly so absurd. Are the referees they, all Chinese? Are the umpires, yeah, whatever they're called? I don't think they're ethnically Chinese, but yeah. They're Chinese. But no, no, I mean, sorry. Oh. I don't think they're all Chinese, but no. the, the feeling is that it's because it's in it's a Chinese right, game, right, right, you know, right. that is, there is influence. What anyway, is short track? Is this skating or is this? The, yeah, short track is uh, is like roller derby for speed skating. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and Koreans are really good at it. Uh-huh. And I have, you know, my father's explanation <laughs> was that Koreans have big legs, which is kind of, it's true, you know? And so he said that the Korean big legs 
are good for short bursts. Oh my gosh, your dad is hilarious. <laughs> but not but not for long, not for extended running periods. And so he's like, if the 100 meter dash was the 30 meter dash, it <laughs> would really well. But Koreans can't really run <laughs> at a high rate for 100 meters. Listen, if you feel like my father is the only older Korean man who feels these types of things, you are sorely mistaken. Kevin, <laughs> you should text your dad right now and ask him if he agrees. <laughs> I bet he would agree. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so his theory is that since Koreans can't do the full short track, they're really good at the short track, short track, where they just kind of spin in a circle, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Anyway, the I wrote an the article about this once for the Times, and I investigated why Koreans were good at short track. And I was, you know, obviously not able to pass off such a eugenical <laughs> reasoning I was gonna say, in the storied pages of the New York Times. But, you know, what I found is basically the answer is, you know, it's like the answer for everything else, which is that like uh, somebody got good at it and then they built yeah. basically an infrastructure around it and then everyone practices in korea a billion times right and so yeah. like they can just pick kids off and then uh they just like make them spin around in a circle for like seven years and then by the time they're ready for the olympics they're really good that's basically the explanation that plus the big like oh thing my God. You know? <laughs> anyway so Tammy, go ahead oh no that's all i mean so anyway the 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 top women and the two top men are out and so it's been a very disappointing Olympics? week here. Oh. Is that the event that Koreans were eyeing for gold the most? Definitely yeah. one of them, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So there anyway, there's some races event? left, but last night was pretty devastating. So the whole country is watching. any of the other ones? Koreans really good at golf, archery, archery. short track, speed skating. Yeah. Um, we had that curling moment, obviously. Oh, um, we did have a curling moment? What happened? In Kung Tung Games. Oh, the women's oh, curling yeah. team, remember? They were all mean. Oh, yeah, 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 that yeah. That was kind of yeah, cool. cool. But random, random. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised Korea's anyway. not better at curling. It seems to align better with the national, you know, like with the national strengths of just practicing the repetitive motion <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> I love our race science moments on the show. Well, yeah, no, like, listen, once, we, once break dancing, at, if we're still doing the show at oh, the no. National Olympics and we talk about, I'll give you my entire my entire eugenical reasoning as to why Koreans are so good at break That also intersects with our whole, like, Black appropriation thing today. No, no, yeah, but it comes to, the actual Korean story about break dancing is actually very interesting. I wrote about this, too. Um, Basically, it comes up obviously with GI culture, right? Mm. And um, that basically there was a group of people around like the base who uh, were passing around like a few tapes, right? Of like people break dancing, and they and they, um, you know, they built this entire. And that those tapes happened to be like super power moves type of stuff, you know, in break dancing. And so then Korean break dancing mm, like developed style. into power moves, like a power style. That just require you know like that requires a ton of practice you know and meanwhile the rest of the world is doing like artistic stuff right <laughs> and so that when korea comes to like the world world stage right everyone has sort of gone away from these superpower moves and so korea looks like the most powerful like crazy move team ever and that that's how they dominate for a while is because like Basically, they were doing like an old style, but they had been basically, you know, storing up their power meter for like years and years, and they just unleashed it all. Um, anyway, you're saying they win. There's an ongoing international competition pre-Olympics breakdancing that they're winning all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, they were, but they're not as. But they're good not anymore. anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. France and Japan are really good. France is. I think France is now re- like pretty dominant. Why isn't America but good? There's a. Um. I don't know. America's good not good. Uh, I think it's because 
you know, it's not part of the culture here anymore. Right. Like, Interesting. I mean, it's just, it's, if it's anything, it's nostalgic. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas with like Korea, they were like, at some point when Korea became good at it, like the Korean government was like funding a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these. That's uh, always studios. our answer for <laughs> why these things happen to us. It's like the Korean government funds the right. weirdest stuff. Like... <laughs> I think the Koreans are good at, you know, I thought the Korean government, like, you know, if we're like 3000 subscribers away from the Korean government <laughs> funding our podcast. <laughs> we're going to have an ad like the... for the. Ministry of Culture ads. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Ministry of Culture and Sports is going to advertise show. Like, oh, this is the oh yeah, this is the number one Korean American <laughs> leftist podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You've succeeded. Oh Congratulations, Kyopos. You know. Are you guys um, Are you guys interested in that Eileen Gu story at all? The um, yeah. The Chinese skier who who's skis for China, and there's also yeah. this the figure skater who's American who skates for China. Right. Nathan Chen, right? No, no, Nathan Chen is American. Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Well, Eileen's American too, yeah. and she's figure skating for China. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they're Nathan both is for the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but there's no, yeah. not there's a woman figure skater who skates oh, for China. Who's American? Yeah, she, she, she is also from the Bay Area. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Thing, I know. There's right? like yeah. California. They're all from the Bay Area. Yeah. They're basically all from Fremont. You know, um, so and the story is they could have they they're good enough to have done it for the U.S. So they're just choosing to do it for China, right? Well, Eileen Gu is the I best uh, ski jumping women in the woman in the world. Yeah, right. Because so, like, she she she's like Chloe Kim. Where so she's why like did she go to China? Well, okay, so there's an official story. I don't know. Which is that uh, Eileen Gu in 2019, she was raised mm-hmm. basically by her Chinese uh, mother, right? Her mm-hmm. mother is self described tiger mom, and like would uh, sort of push Eileen into be like the best ski jumper. And then her mother, and Eileen actually lived a lot of her life in China. Like every summer she lived in Beijing, right? So she's fluent in Mandarin and everything like that. She's half white, right? Yeah. Um, And she would, they decided together in 2019 that she would ski for China because she wanted Chinese people to like learn the beauty of winter sports through her. That's her official explanation. Now, 2019 is very different time, right? You know, it's before like, COVID, everything like that. And so in 2019, I don't think it was seen as as big of a deal, even though people in the ski community were mad about it, you know, because mm-hmm. they were like, well, we we trained her. Why yeah, isn't she skiing exactly. for us? You know, yeah. like she wouldn't have gotten the same good training in China that she got here. But I don't know. I think the end the end exam, the end explanation is very simple, which is that like she is going to make a ton of money. Yeah. That's, in China. It's right? like Michelle Wee. Right. Michelle, we would like, you know, show up at like a fucking, you know, Pizza Hut in Seoul and they would pay her like seven million dollars. Totally. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I think that that's it. Like, you know, how much how much earning potential does a ski jumper who right. shows up on the world stage every four years actually have? Right. Gotcha. Now? Well, in China, she has a ton. Well, she also has a modeling, that. a separate modeling career. I right. Think, she looks yeah. like a, she's like a supermodel. Yeah. Right. It's um, fascinating. I don't know, but now everyone in the U.S. like all the right, the right wing is pretending to be mad at her, you know. Which I actually don't. Gotcha. I don't even think their heart is in it, you know. <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> well, because the other and the other woman is, I think her name's Ji Yu, the the figure skater. I, I don't I know think, what her story is. Whether it was because she couldn't, right. you know, she wanted didn't go off over the U.S. team or whatever. But. You get a pass, right? If like you can't make the U.S. team, right? Yeah, I feel like that should be. It's like yeah, there's so many athletes. Yeah. yeah, the other dude just got coronavirus, Vincent Joe. 
He just tested positive for COVID. In Beijing. Um, I've been watching, I'll just say, I've oh, been yeah, watching a lot that. of the Olympics. I like was watching like the ski jump and qualifying rounds. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so that's all broadcasting. So they're showing it everything. Are you, but you're recording it, everything. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you have the uh, Olympic no, channel? I just, I, I just don't have a sense of time. So I don't know if the thing I'm watching is. You're just watching. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't really, I haven't been looking at Twitter at all for the past week. So I haven't really been, I haven't been missing. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen very much Olympics on Twitter. I don't. Yeah. I don't okay. So, know how many people are watching? What did you think about the opening ceremonies, Andy? Okay. So that's, that's what we actually are supposed to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Andy, sorry. What are we supposed to... no, <laughs> and, no, no, no. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, so Jay, you had said that the coverage was weird. Um, I didn't, I haven't seen all of it, but I saw some of it. And I think it's interesting. You know, you know, mainly it's Mike Tirico, I guess, who's leading a lot of the coverage. He's, as far as I remember, always been on ESPN. So he's like this, he's been around forever in the US sports casting. I think a lot of stuff of what he's saying is like, he just has to report it. You know, like the United States has this diplomatic boycott. It has concerns about human mm-hmm. rights and so on. Um, I do think that at the edges of what they're saying, at least during the opening ceremony, there was a lot of innuendo. You know, they're like, and, th- and like, what you're going to see is what the Chinese want you to think. You know, without mm-hmm. without kind of finishing the thought, like, oh, and, and it's wrong, funny. and it's false, and it's propaganda. You know, but that's the implication. Um, and yeah, you could just, you could just kind of tell like Mike Tirico hates China. <laughs> really, um, okay. that's that's kind of like the uh, that's kind of. The, but I don't know. I think I do think like, I mean, like, how else could they cover it though? Because there is this. You know, the United States did officially boycott uh, diplomatically the game, so like they have to cover it. They have yeah. to talk about it. Um, it's not a surprise if NBC takes the side of the U.S. government. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I, they, they bring it up, but yeah, throughout the opening ceremony, like all the sports or the broadcasters were kind of like going back and forth, bringing up like the accusations of genocide and Xinjiang and so on. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it like spoiled other people's viewing experience or if they were expecting something different. I think the thing that everyone kind of is, has been bringing up though, is like, you know, compare this to 2008, which is, you know, China's first Olympics and it was the summer Olympics and, um, that was the moment where everyone was very optimistic about China. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone in the rest of the world was optimistic about China. Finally joining the rest of the world, this kind of U.S.-led liberal order. Right. Um, China at the time was much more liberal. Like there were a lot more press freedoms and, yeah. you know, economic freedoms, people going in and out to do business. And, uh, you know, a lot of things have changed in the meantime to kind of make things bad in China and also bad, like, relations-wise with, with the United States. Um yeah, and I think I don't know. I don't know when they determined these Olympics were going to happen, but they obviously like pro- like I, I think if they were going to going to do it all over again, they probably wouldn't choose China, right? Because yeah, they would do it in like you know Switzerland or something. <laughs> yeah, somewhere anodyne. Yeah, you know? it's interesting. Tammy, did you watch the opening ceremonies? What do you think? I watched it. Yeah, I mean, I was curious about the so so in Korea they don't have as much of the ideological commentary in the US, right? So it was pretty just flat. I mean, obviously, the opening ceremonies are always like funny and kind of like politically inflected wherever they happen. And so they everyone has their own national story. I mean, the Chinese rollout of the ethnic minority groups was both sort of predictable and and kind of over the top with the weaker lighting that you know, so I mean, I don't think it was that different from what I expected, but it was it was pretty kind of spot on for like what you know yeah. for this moment in, in Chinese politics. The technology was yeah, but pretty the United amazing. States does that too, right? Totally, like, you know? yeah. 
We I mean, had like every, Muhammad Ali. We had like Muhammad Ali, like light the torch. Exactly. You know? That's the thing about, I mean, no matter what and the like, country For is, an Olympics, know? I like basically like gutted a whole black neighborhood to build like a bunch of stupid exactly. housing, you know? Like, like, it's like, totally. I mean, like, look, it's obviously like there's different, le- I don't want to do the whole tanky like comparison thing, right. you know, but like, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's not so, you know, the United States does a lot of that too. Just being like, oh, you know, like here's our, we put you in the opening ceremony for the Olympics, you know? It's right. Like, right. Um, and everyone kind of rolls their eyes, you know, or maybe some people feel very emotional about it. But like, and it's not that people shouldn't feel emotional about seeing Muhammad Ali in that stage. It's just that like, there is like a contradiction. And there's like, a, you know, there's an irony there that certainly is present. Um, my sense of it was that like Mike Tirico's basic tone for the whole thing. And like the whole tone of the thing was basically just like, we shouldn't be here, right. you know, like these should not uh, be happening. Okay. And like, that was basically it. And then he's like, well, now that, but since they're happening anyway, let's go to like the big air hill and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like uh, Tom Wallace and like, you know, Randy, Randy Moss, you know? And then like, they'll be like, well, we're here at the big air hill. You know? and, like everyone's eyes are on 19 year old from San Francisco, Eileen Goo, you know? And then they just move on. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, they they try and make it i don't know but the other part that makes it weird is that like basically there's no crowds because of covid right right and like it is i don't i gotta say it is a joyless Mm -hmm. olympics and i hate you know we as good leftists we all hate the olympics right (laughs) but um you know there's still like moments that are cool right like that's and like i i just feel like there's something about these olympics that are so joyless and so like weird because there's no crowds like everybody's kind of like under this like, what do we do? Um, all the athletes still seem totally freaked out, you know? And, yeah. um, and nobody seems to really care. Um, yeah. Does it seem worse than Tokyo? Mm. Probably about the same. Yeah, because of the it's po- just like we've had two Asian Olympics during COVID. I know. <laughs> I know. Like Why is this happening? <laughs> I know. There's just nothing like, like even like, even though it was like, you know, even though it was like totally symbolic, like there's not even stuff like the, unified north remember like they had the yeah. unified north korean and south korean women's yeah. hockey team yeah like that was like there's nothing even like that where it's yeah. interesting yeah. you know like it's just kind of like yeah. when is this over type of thing now it might change when chloe kim like for american actually just for korean for me and tammy and like, <laughs> when chloe kim comes, yeah, when chloe <laughs> kim comes on on the stage but so far it's been it's been pretty terrible yeah I mean, oh, I forgot to mention one thing about the opening ceremony. So there was there's a woman who was in a hanbok in the Korean. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a whole thing about like Chinese saying that that's a Chinese. Anyway, so there was like a fun, petty inter-East Asian nationalism thing. Was she like eating kimchi and be like, oh, I am. (laughs) This is Chinese, too. I'm in the traditional Chinese hanbok eating the traditional. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, Andy, go ahead. Um, I forgot what it was. Gonna say. Oh, I mean, I feel like Tokyo was also very perfunctory. Yeah. It was like, let's oh, just yeah. get this yeah. over with. Can you hear me? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I felt Tokyo was very perfunctory. Also, it was just like, let's just get this over with. We signed this contract. Let's just no. let's just get this over with. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it was, there's very bizarre moments at the opening where I don't know, like Tariko just kept going on about Putin. And Xi Jinping, you know, like saying like Xi Jinping and Putin are sitting next to each other, oh, like really? the world's like two worst autocrats or something. And is oh, is Russia going to invade Ukraine by the end of these Olympics? And I was like, whoa, like, what did I miss? Like, I, I'm oh, not reading, I'm not really reading the story, but uh, 
Is he really going to invade Ukraine by the end of the Olympics? Um, yeah, I wonder what Trigo's ambitions with all of this stuff is. You know, I've, I imagine he's just doing what I mean. You know, his whole thing throughout his entire career is to be, you know, smooth, right? Like, like in that he like is like he's an amazing presenter. Like his job as host, he's very good at it. He's uh, like frictionless, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he's always like the same, you know, I mean, whether he's doing golf, whether he's doing football, whatever he's doing, he's like the same. And then he has gotten strangely political at this moment. Right. And I wonder if if that's him or if that's NBC or if that's the U.S. government telling him, you know, sort of, you know, nudging NBC on how the coverage should be or like whether there's sort of influence. But it's just been very weird for me to watch as somebody who has watched Mike Tirico now, like (laughs) basically my, you know, half of my life. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the anti-controversy guy, yeah. you know, outside of like, you know, some, you know, he has some strange mm. thoughts about, I don't know. I, we don't have to talk about So he doesn't do the politics listen, of you know. sports in other contexts. No, he's very no. family friendly. No. Okay. okay. Right. He's, and in doing that, he's really good, you know, like as being like a guy on TV, he's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. But certainly anti-political yeah. in the way that most people in his role are, you know? Like what sports cast person is ever political, you know, like when they are, it's just weird. Well, when, I mean, with the Kaepernick stuff and all of the like, you know, politicized sports incidents, I mean, don't they fold that into commentary or no? Right. But that's, those are different roles, right? So there's a host who, which Mike Tirico is, and then there's like commentators who like would. Yeah, occupying that. Space. So he doesn't do that. I see. Who's this? Who's this person they have, Andy? Yeah, uh, Jing Tzu. You know, there's like, yeah, there's like some. There's a professor from Yale. Yeah, Jing. Yeah, um, she's. I've met her before. She's. She was nice to me. She's uh, sort of like, I guess she's a full professor at Yale. Um, she's been, you know, writing, working for a couple of decades there. She has a new book out, so I, that might be part of it. Like this sort of conservative rollout, um, like a public book with Penguin, I think. Um, I was I was kind of paying attention to her because she's like she's on she's part of this team where in the opening ceremony it's Mike Tirico it's her and then this like Bloomberg mm-hmm. British guy who like served Some in China British before. dude yeah. white British dude <laughs> yeah. yeah okay um and like the British dude he did all this all the talking about Xinjiang and human rights and that stuff and I feel like Jing was very careful and strategic to only talk about like let me tell you about Chinese characters. Let me tell you about like the traditional Chinese oh. calendar. So I think even though she, she was like a Wikipedia oh, of like Chinese stuff. Yeah, it was a little, you know, I think, I think she probably like the whole thing felt very like, you know, scripted, like tell us well, about this. New Year, but, we yeah. eat moon They had a Yale professor <laughs> doing sports Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. But it's I'm not, so but well, I wow. think it was mostly That's coverage hilarious. of the opening ceremony, not like actual yeah. events. So yeah, but she's going to be on throughout the broadcast, yeah. they said. But so from what I saw in the opening ceremony, she was avoiding, she was like, there's no question. There's tensions right now. That's about as controversial as she got. You I know? See. <laughs> and I was like, if That's I were in that situation, I would be the exact same way. It's like, there's no question. These are the Olympics. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy, you coward. <laughs> um, whereas, the, whereas I think the British, you know, diplomat guy is like, well, I, I spent 10 years in China. I'm never going back. So. I'm going to unload all And he would like say <laughs> one thing and then he would, there would be like a four panel notes apology. Oh, like <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes later. At night on Twitter. <laughs> like, I'm like, Andy, I don't, are you going through something? I'm going to tell you something. I, you know, I support you, but I'm not reading all these words. <laughs> There's no way I'm reading this. Are you kidding? This is too long. Um, okay. Yeah. I think the only thing that I have to say, you know, like our conclusion about the Olympics is what? 
kind of joyless, like a little weird to watch. Um, you know, I don't know. Part it's of it like, is MB- nobody seems to want to be there. And also like the people watching, like even like Leslie Jones, you know, who's like, yeah, like I love mm-hmm. watching Leslie Jones cover the Olympics on Instagram where she just, have you seen this, Tammy? Mm-mm. Leslie Jones has done this thing for several Olympics now. And actually for a while, she was employed in, by NBC as like a commentator okay. where she'll like film her TV screen and then she'll just like kind of be like, she'll, she'll just like yell, you know, and she'll just be Oh, funny. really? She's really oh, funny okay. at it. I, I enjoy it as a, you know, media consumer. That, yeah. But even she's been joyless about it. You know, she's like, I don't even want to do this this time. You know, <laughs> I just do it because I love the Olympics, but like, I'm tired of this. And she's like, God, this is like the worst. You know? Yeah. Like, it's fun. I don't know. I wonder, like, I don't think it's a waning of interest in the Olympics. I just think it's COVID. And I think it's just that it's China and everybody feels weird about it. You know? Yeah. Um, the Nathan well, Chen, it seems like people are excited about Nathan Chen. Is he winning? And will continue to be. Yeah. Well, he had like a beautiful program. One he did really so well. Far, right? He had a disappointing yeah. 2018, I remember, right? Yeah. Like he was like slated to win the gold. He kept but... falling. I yeah. think he's ready now, is the Poor feeling. God. Like, oh, yeah, he's not nervous anymore. We'll see. It just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well the There's just been like so little yeah. coverage, um, just like on the internet. Like, I don't see very much talk about it at all. Oh, that's on another Twitter, person. ESPN. What about fucking mm-hmm. with this Jeremy Lin stuff? What about like Christy Yamaguchi? She won the fucking gold medal oh, for in, sure. ice, in yeah. figure skating. Well, I feel huge like deal. Figures, but it doesn't. It's because of your thesis, right? Right. That's my point. Right. You know, but that doesn't. <laughs> yeah, but that this one isn't even close because it's more like baseball or something where it doesn't have that racialized thing. Yeah, but that's yeah, a white right. sport. But these are white sports. But Christy Yamaguchi was like a big fucking deal, for sure. You yeah. know, and like uh, the way that the Olympics was covered back then is way bigger than it was now, you know? And it, it does was seem like, like that. I guess you could also... TV and all that. You, you could know? also Michelle restate your Kwan? thesis. You could restate your thesis as like race. No one has a race unless it's like in comparison to black athletes, right? When it's in comparison right. to white athletes. For Asians specifically. There's no yeah, race. For the middle. Right. Yeah. Well, race, race is brought up when like the NBA fought for years to like, you know, basically like it seems like they fought for decades, you know, against like the the increased like Africanization of basketball until they like they just like accepted it by the 80s and 90s right but there was like a lot of tension in the NBA for a while mm-hmm. and right. so like race is front and center in the NBA in a way I don't know maybe not unique but it seems like more so than all these other sports and when all the athletes are white it's like maybe race just kind of gets kind of like it's just kind of a assum- the assumption is like everyone's just like folded into this beautiful quilt of different non-racialized athletes you know like like right also i think like i had this feeling that like the nba also is sort of seen as the ultimate meritocracy you know because like the athletes are so good i think that's like the the kind non-racialized way to think about it but i really do think that there's something you know there was something like deeply if you really scratch at it that it does you know become like not troubling, but it's definitely like fraught, you know, about the fetishization of Jeremy Lin specifically. And it's not just because he was the first Asian to ever do anything. I mean, right. Um, okay. Yeah. There's something specific about the way he was playing and performing. Right. Right. And also like, yeah. the you know, everyone's like, oh, it's because he was in New York. It's like, okay. You know, uh, maybe, maybe that was part of it. Right. And that people seem to love him and we just wanted to have people love an Asian person. I think that's also part of it too, you know, but, um, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't think I was wrong anyway, whatever. 
The Yamaguchi realized. Michelle Kwan, though, I do, I do remember being just so resonant and right at that moment, you know, and everyone loving them and them Michelle... being real darlings of right. America. I assume that's why all these, why every American figure skater now is fucking Asian American. You know, <laughs> is that true? I'm serious. True. Of course, Nathan Chen, Vincent Zhou, right. like who are these people? <laughs> no, they're all Asian. <laughs> you know? Remember, there's that girl that barreled oh that Barry Weiss said, like immigrants, we get oh, the job right, done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, right. like, yeah. There's yeah. been all sorts of Asian, like right. all the figure skaters are Asian American. You know. Since Michelle Kwan and Trissy Yamaguchi, like it's like all these kids. <laughs> I don't even know. Like they're all from the Bay Area. I cannot tell you where in the Bay Area there's ice skating, ring, but apparently there's one, <laughs> and they're just turning out monsters. Well, there's no snow in <laughs> China, and they put it there. So. I know. Yeah, it's gauging the skating. Yeah. It's a total environmental disaster. This whole they're turning Olympics, out. Like, anyway. I think there is a there's so I think it's somewhere in the South Bay, and I actually maybe I should go down there at some point with Frankie and take a look, you know, and just be like, you get her. Like, there's gonna be like seven like kids just like spinning like a fucking top, you know, doing like quintuple <laughs> axles out of the fucking ring. They're all gonna be Asian. <laughs> I mean, do we need to extrapolate further and be like, that's why a lot of Asians and Asian Americans are in winter sports? Period. <laughs> I don't think we can take it that far, right? But oh, I think that yeah, I, I do think they're in it because of. I do think they're in it because of Chrissy Yamaguchi. Oh, so you do think that's an yeah, I think so. On yeah. All of the other winter sports. Was she? Too. Yeah, mm, she wasn't the first though, was it? Chrissy Yamaguchi was, was the, the highest first Asian profile American for, for sure. sure. I mean, maybe there were some minor figures, but she was big. No, I'm just that thinking big like deal. she won the gold medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the yeah. U.S. context, but like if you're talking about like oh, other yeah. Asian countries being really into these, yeah, sports. but Asian oh, Americans no, don't look at Asian people. We're just looking at Asian Americans. Well, I think I think Asian Americans look at other people in terms of giving their kids stuff to do like <laughs> like yeah, I think but, some of the golf circuits and figure skating like oh yeah golf circuits yeah, yeah, are, that's true. are yeah, but that's all that don't way, you think that's but... all recent it's like asia sucked at every sport and totally yeah you know yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah no it all, it's that fucking the archery except, thing except going on. badminton was... you know or ping pong. <laughs> like, yeah. no it's because yeah, the countries it's because the countries are poor yeah exactly right like in war torn like you know like that's why they're bad it's not like because they're For unathletic sure. and dumb. It's because like the country, right. it takes money to make an Olympic team. And strong like, legs. Now. Yeah, and strong <laughs> legs. You know, the problem with our parents' generation taming was that they were malnourished from too much powdered government <laughs> American ra- U- GI and ration spam. milk. Yeah, <laughs> it's spam. They couldn't get the right calf to like quad <laughs> right. ratio they, had... they needed to be champions. And now look at them. Korean American calves, on the other oh hand, you know, who have been fed by American milk are gigantic, which is why you know Koreans are so good at, mm. at what. All right, anyway, no, that's enough. Um, okay. You know, what is the race science thing for Chinese athletes? I don't know if there is. One. <laughs> I don't know, but they had is a, there one? There, I just remember there's a guy with my last name who won the, sp- the 100 meters in 20. And one of the recent ones, and he was like, it was like a big deal. He was like, because it was, that's like an, that's an athletic event. You know, it's like. No, there's a Chinese, there's a Chinese sprinter in the finals of the, of the 100 meter dash last in Tokyo. Yeah, but I think the first one was like Leo something in 2016 or maybe 2008. Oh, really? And it was like the first, like winning that event is, you know, to go back to Jeremy Lin. Like that, that's like not an event where Chinese athletes supposed to win. So that was a big deal. I think he had like a very riddled, injury riddled, like last decade after that, like, you know, obviously he was pushed to the limit mm. by everything. Oh man, yeah. The Chinese stereotype of athletes, I think, is that basically like anything involving tumbling and shit, they will like just practice to oh. be really good at, right? 
Like the old gymnast thing. They're all just gymnasts. Yeah. They convert like gymnasts into everything. kind of Soviet sino like gymnast I know, thing. There I know. was a whole thing. Well, <laughs> so I have this theory that, that China is going to dominate um, uh, skateboarding in the next Olympics. And it's just because they're going to take all their gymnasts and make them into skateboarders. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, why wouldn't that work? It's all, all it is is gymnastics, you know, and like spinning in the air and shit. So, yeah, like my my prediction is that China is going to dominate. And, that is so and, funny. And they seem invest. The only reason I think about it is I think that is true is because I heard they're invested in it, you know. And so that's a stereotype of Chinese. <laughs> of, the stereotype of Koreans is big, big legs, fast for very short distances and. <laughs> Big legs. If you're offended by this, I apologize. You know, but I'm 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 only bringing you the perspective of a 72 year old Korean man. (laughs) (laughs) This is how they all think. (laughs) Tammy, do you like? You have to admit, this is how most of them think about these things. I can definitely see having a conversation like that with my dad. I haven't yet, but you should just text him right now. Could happen. Yeah. Andy, no. there are these brothers, Liu brothers, who are doing short track for Hungary. Oh, they're Chinese Hungarian, but they—they're oh. very attractive. <laughs> Great, yeah, we all are. <laughs> Wait, so they were like expats? They like they moved to Hungary. Their, their mom is Hungarian. Oh, I see, I see. So yeah, they grew yeah. up. Like they're there. like, yeah, yeah, they're Hungarian. Yeah, yeah there's something going on with like one of these events. Was it? Sorry, is ping pong a Olympic sport? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all the ping pong teams were like Chinese, but they were mm-hmm. for like ten different countries. They were just like the, the B team exactly. and the C team from China just like yeah. went to another country. It was automatically <laughs> the A team in that country. That's you know? amazing. Yeah, like that was. I think that was that happened in Tokyo. I was like, these are just Chinese people. Oh, really? Like, so it wasn't just other. diasporas. It was like no. I think it was like they were like for Chinese hire. Because like I'm not yeah, going to yeah. make the Chinese. That's, team. It's like the That's it's amazing. imperialism. Yeah, it's like the Chinese <laughs> right. soft powers. Like right. we'll populate their ping pong teams <laughs> with our own people. Dalton Road ping pong. <laughs> oh man. Okay, that's enough. Thank you for listening to our show. Um, we do this every week. Uh, next week, I think we're going to have a conversation with the author Eugene Lim. This was a conversation that we all had with many members of our Discord community. That's right, right? Next week, we'll do Eugene. Um, It's a wonderful conversation. He's a great writer. You should get his new book, Search Histories. Um, It is a novel that is quite unlike any novel I think any of us have read before. And the conversation with Eugene is wonderful. He's one of my favorite people, someone I respect quite a bit, and is just like a, you know, sweet and thoughtful person and, you know, someone that we in our community love to support. Um, if you would like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. You can sign up for our Substack for $5 a month at goodbye.substack.com. If you do that, you will get a host of, well, not really a host of extra features, but you will get access into our Discord community where we have lots of conversations and where you get invited to events like talking to Eugene Lim about search histories. And if you would like to uh, talk to us on Twitter, you can tweet at us at at ttsg pod um tammy and andy thank you for being on the show tammy when do you come back to the united states you're still in like you know like what looks like a korean boardroom (laughs) yeah yeah i'll see you guys soon i'll be back in mid-february oh cool are you excited to come back no (laughs) yeah i would would stay there too i know covid is gone omicron is 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 kind of declining in new york city at least true yeah Yeah. but Um, the bay is deep red right you guys are like, I don't know. I don't leave the house. Like, how are <laughs> she hasn't left the house since 2019. It's always the same for me. <laughs> <laughs>
I look out of my little window in my basement. You know, sometimes I see my neighbor walking around. That's about it. You know. As long as they don't have you know, Yeah, I think it's bad here right now. But it's all relative, you know? Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. guys.